Well, good morning. I should say, let's do that again. Good morning. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to uh, Philippians chapter 1. Wonderful decorations here. I was just thinking that uh, I really would like that tree, frankly, for our home. So uh, <laughs> I had to confess that I was, I was afraid I was violating one of the Ten Commandments when I first came in and saw it. <laughs> Something about coveting. Then I thought I'll even take this one here, actually. Before we read, um, give you a little clue here, George Bernard Shaw, who was the famous British playwright, while commenting on the subject I'm going to address for the next few minutes, once said about this, the universal statistic is the same. One out of one does. One out of one does. Well, if you're awake this morning and wide awake at that, I trust. He was talking about the subject of death. And you're probably thinking right now, wow, aren't I glad I came this morning. <laughs> it's the Christmas season, wonderful first Sunday of the month, and we're going to talk about death. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh... This will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. May God bless his word to us with the key verse, obviously, this morning. And we'll just look at a couple other verses in John's Gospel. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I'm going to call this this morning, Are You Ready? And really the whole idea is, is this is the Christian perspective on death. In our world, uh, nothing is more common than this particular word, is it? Death. You know what? There's death announcements in every local newspaper all across this nation. And I think it's probably true that the older you are, the tendency is the more frequently you turn to the obituaries to look at them and to see if there's somebody there that you recognize. Right now, maybe you're saying, well, I don't go there. I go to the sports page and, or I go to the living section or I go to something else. But that section of the obituaries is there. And a lot of folks are very intrigued and go to it. Sometimes you might be thinking you're going to that section when you're going into the sports page and you're reading about our football teams. It might seem like it's one of the same. But it isn't. Life is uncertain, isn't it? Just life itself. When you think about it, every day, or in my case, every night, people go to work. And they are really, for the most part, many people are unaware that something could happen before that evening where they lay themselves down, they put their head on that pillow, and they will, in fact, have to meet God. Many people don't think about that. And really the sobering thing is, is that even today, there are some who are going to leave this planet Earth. And you know it's going to happen, as far as physically speaking, it would be diagnosed as a heart attack, maybe it was a car accident, or some type of criminal assault, or it could be a host of things. 
Yesterday, I was called into work at about 3.30 and worked a 14-and-a-half-hour day. So, and got off this morning at 6. So, again, if I see anybody nodding their heads today, I don't know. I might have one up on you. But I was called in because if you probably were watching the news last night, you heard about it. We had a shooting, an officer-involved shooting, we call it, in, on the Nimitz Freeway. And I'm very sorry for you if you were stuck in that eight-hour traffic jam where the Nimitz was closed around Whipple. But it's really interesting. These fellows that I work with and, you know, work with four or five days a week, they're out there and they're doing their job and they're pulling over a car. And just kind of like that, in about less than about 30 seconds, where the car probably was about where this tree is, they're there in their patrol vehicle, and a man gets out and just starts firing. Just They don't even have a chance to react. They're still in their patrol car. Bullets are flying into their car. They're, they're shooting from inside their patrol car at him. And for reasons, obviously, that aren't clear, he wanted to do that, and he was, as the news media said, I'm not telling you anything that isn't already public, he was killed. Just like that, his life ended. Thankfully, one of our officers who was shot was shot right here under the arm, and it didn't hit his vest, or it, more importantly, missed his vest, but that would have been more in here, and it went right under his armpit and went through and through, a clean wound. But this particular fellow, he died. He chose to go that way yesterday. The possibilities, though, of sudden death is certainly real, isn't it? And it happens a lot, more than we might even realize. And I don't mean to continue the the depression here, but where I work, of course, when the 911 line rings, and it could be you one day, you, you didn't expect it. You actually didn't anticipate that this kind of thing could happen maybe to somebody you're with, but it, in fact, it does. It's just the way it is. Cindy and I spent... Uh, over the last several nights, and this kind of is where this is born out of from what we were doing in November, where we were spending a few weeks, and we were doing something that we've been putting off for a long time. Maybe some of you have thought about it. Maybe some of you have done it, but we were working on a living trust. We were working on it for ourselves. We were working on it for my parents, and we were working on it for her brother. And so several nights it took, and that's, there's a lot of pages involved, to be going through things and to be start sorting out in the event if the Lord does not return first, and we go to be with him, what are we going to do with the things that he's given us to manage and whom is going to manage it? And that really, when you're doing that, when you're thinking about that, you're thinking about death. Because you're really saying, it's unless the Lord returns, it's not, well, if I die, or if you die, it's kind of when you die. When you physically leave this planet, then I want you to do this, or this is what we want to be done, and it saves a lot of hassle, actually saves a lot of uh, money, frankly, to do it. It's a wise thing, in my opinion. So on the 20th of December, we'll be going to our friend who's a family attorney, and we'll be signing all of these documents. And I said to Cindy, Lord willing, and kind of obviously in humor, I said, after the 20th, we're now ready to die, because we have things in order. I was talking to a man recently who had surgery, and he said, you know what? I'm a total peace about the fact that I had this surgery, because he said, I know, he said this the day before the surgery, that if I die, I know where I'm going. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that. The fellow that I lead a small group Bible study with back in Castro Valley had some chest pains a couple weeks ago. He's about my age in mid-40s. I know, you thought it was probably mid-20s, but anyway, mid-40s. <laughs> Maybe that photo you're going to show of me is in mid-20s. I don't know. It's been, 
since 1992, since it started coming. But um, chest pains at work. And they called 911, and they came, took him to the hospital. And it's been a real wake-up call for him. He said, you know, I, he goes, I was at peace when I was in the ambulance. He said, because he's a, he's a believer. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's trusting him for his salvation. He said, but you know, I have to be honest. Said, there's, there's things I haven't done, things I haven't attended to with my family that I wish I needed to do. But he didn't think he had his earthly house in order, but he knew he was spiritually ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be honest. The reason many will never prepare a trust or think about a will or anything along those lines is because despite the common frequency of death, again, if the Lord doesn't return first, people try to act, don't they, as though death were non-existent. It really doesn't happen. It's not something that if your job this week that you happen to go to a Christmas party, one that you should go to, that's a good thing to go to, and you're happening to mingle among folk. It's not the kind of thing that you're going to say, hey, let's talk about death this, this evening. Let's you ever think about death. I mean, that's the kind of thing people don't want to talk about, let alone at a Christmas party. It's kind of that subject, death. It's like that forbidden subject. You just don't go there, do you? You just don't go there. People don't quite know how to deal with it. They, they, they don't really know how to address it. And so sometimes they even use the words passed away. It makes me think of the story of two bachelors that lived with their mother. And one of the bachelors had a cat named Charlie. And the one who owned the cat, and he really loved this cat, Charlie, went away on vacation for a week. When he came back, he immediately inquired to his fellow brother about Charlie. He said, how's Charlie? And the brother said, he died. And the other replied, he said, you know how much I love that cat. Couldn't you have told me that he was up on the roof? You know how much I love that cat. And couldn't you have told me that somehow he fell? You knew how much I love that cat. And couldn't you have told me that you took him to the vet and despite the vet's best efforts, he couldn't save it and he passed away? You knew how much I love that cat. And then he said, by the way, how's mother? And he said, she's up on the roof. (laughs) Don't quite know how to address it. We don't know how to talk about it. Someone has said, man is the only creature who knows he must die, and yet he's trying desperately to forget this fact. A couple nights ago, I took a 911 call, and it was like listening to the, the 12 things of Christmas. He told me about 11 immediately of the conditions his, his wife had. I couldn't type them all fast enough. I mean, she had them. It's interesting, isn't it, that a huge amount of money is spent to try and even look younger in our culture. It's the big thing now, isn't it? I remember as a joke a couple of days ago with my parents, we were sitting around. It must have been a silly moment for some reason. It may not be funny now, but for some reason we just thought, I wonder what it would be like if we got a facelift. And so we just pulled our faces as tight as we could across and took away the bags that are definitely under these eyes this morning and how we would look. One evidence of how much we put emphasis on this is how we make the dead look as alive as possible and even as young as possible before burying them. (laughs) The end result is that you often hear you never think it will happen to, you never think it'll happen to them. You didn't think it would happen. I don't think it's going to happen to me. 
It's one of those subjects that's so hidden and little discussed. We think a lot about a lot of things, but we don't think much about what's going to happen when I leave this planet. You know, in the old days, going way back, when people died, they often died at home. That's where they were brought. And so people saw people dying. And what's happened now with the modern times that we live in is often people are dying in hospitals. And so people are kind of even protected, if you like, in that sense, from what's taking place. The whole family isn't seeing it. Well, what are the scriptures? And the scriptures say a lot. They say an awful lot about this important subject. But what do the scriptures say about death? Well, I'll say one thing. The scriptures say this. It is not to be dreaded for the believer. It's not to be dreaded. This is why we, we read, for example, and you don't need to turn to this because I'm just going to make reference to it in John 11. Jesus said this. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he said, do you believe this? We take a lot of comfort, those who know Christ, in John 14. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's, houses, my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Comforting words from the Lord Jesus. And then, of course, our text this morning. Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, when you read this verse, you think, you know, what was it that made Paul tick? You know, what was Paul all about? We use that phrase today. You know, what makes that person tick? Well, really, in Philippians 1, we certainly see what made this guy tick. And when he says, for me... Basically, another way we can put that in, in our modern way we speak today is this. As far as I'm concerned, for me, for as far as I'm concerned, to live is Christ. Present tense. As Paul, you know, he was in prison here. It wasn't his first prison trip to, with the Romans. But as he contemplated, even as he's writing Philippians, the possibility of death by the Romans, the stuff that really matters comes to the forefront, doesn't it? And you think about that. You often hear people say that when they've been in a situation where they thought death was imminent or they just had this conscious awareness that something could have just happened. They often think, you know, this, they're thinking about death and they're thinking, oh, I wish I, did, I thought of my wife. I thought of my kids. They think of the stuff that's really important. They're not really thinking usually about the job. They're not even thinking about money. They're not even thinking about that power that they so hungrily sought after and that prestige. But they're thinking about the stuff that really matters. It comes right to the surface. And for the Apostle Paul here, it comes right to the surface. And he says, really in effect, to continually, presently, in the present tense, I want to live Christ. That's what he wants. He didn't live for money. He was set apart. He didn't live for fame. He had that at one time. He didn't live for pleasure, but the thing that he lived for was the object of his life, was to love, worship, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That was it in a nutshell, a very uncomplicated goal, a very uncomplicated idea for how to live. 
He wanted to live his life like the Lord Jesus Christ lived it. And amazingly and excitingly enough, he wanted to have Christ live his life through him and actually come out of him in the way that he lived. That others, when they looked at him, would see Jesus. Is that our goal this morning? What makes your wife, makes your wife, what makes your life worth living? What do you think about when you think about the fact that God's put you on this planet? And why are you here? What's kind of the purposes as you come into the end of 2006 as to why you're here? Even the noble goals, if you like, of family, which is understandable, work, reputation, are those the things that are at the first and foremost in our thinking? If you think about it, when you look at Philippians 1.21, this little short verse, just a few words, when you read that for yourself, for me to live as Christ, would that be your goal today? That's kind of, if you like, the litmus test of what makes us tick. Because, for example, if you were to take this verse and you were to say, for me to live is, what, what other thing are you going to put in that blank? What are you going to place there? And to die is, is it a gain, whatever you've placed there? Or would it actually be a loss, depending on what you're living for? If you put your wealth in the first blank, for me to live is wealth. Dying brings not gain, but loss. And the same is true if you selected power, fame, possessions. Because you know what? None of those things remain for you after you and I die. Fame is forgotten. Power is useless. What power do you have when you're dead? And possessions, well, they've been given to others. And maybe even to the people you wish they didn't come to or go to are going to have them. These possessions that you were holding on and you were thinking, these are mine, I want them. Some would say, well, you know what, it's not quite like that. What I would say is for me to live is Christ and something else. It's kind of, I want a combo package here. I want Christ, but I also want this. And you fill in the blank there. And I would suggest to you that the Lord Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't going to work for me. Well, he'd use more proper English than that. He wouldn't say ain't. But he'd say, that doesn't work. I want just, I want your heart. I don't want any competition with anything else. I don't want any competition with anyone else. I want to be your first and foremost love. Because I'm your God. I'm the one who, I'm the one who was there for you. I'm the one who died. I'm the one who shed my blood for you and rose again. And it's most worthy and most right that God should ask that and request that of us. I was talking to a man this week. I met him over at a nice deli out here in Pleasanton. A young guy in his late 20s. I like to think that's still, that's young. You know, he's a, he's a guy that works in the, in the insurance industry and he's got a good job. He seems like he's, he's got a house, a wife, three kids. And I was just listening to this because it's an interesting thing because God is moving this man in this particular direction for him and where he's having to contemplate he wants to sell his house. If, if it comes to that, he wants to sell his house so that he can put himself and his family through Bible school, through this further education from a good, good campus. It's a good thing. It would be either an Internet course or something else to that effect where he'd travel down to Los Gatos a couple of days a week. I'm listening to this guy and I'm thinking... You know, he says, I go, what do you want to do? He goes, you know, if God calls me to go overseas and be a missionary, I want to do it. I said, how long have you been a Christian? He said, three years. What impressed me about this fellow was I didn't know him. I only met him for the first time last week, just a couple days ago. I talked with him on the phone the week before that. 
But I saw him in church and I thought, you know, this is really pretty amazing because he was one of these folks that were up on the platform and they were reading the letters from Revelation. And he had the longest letter and he had it all memorized. I said, wow, this guy loves the Word of God. And I was trying to get him to be involved in a Bible evangelistic study that I'm going to be starting in January. And I'm looking for, if you like, the cream of the crop. Those who know and are experiencing God's grace. And I said, you're one of the ones I'd love to have on board for eight weeks in the new year. And I was listening to him. And I was listening to his heart. And I was listening to a humble man who was really, in a sense, in his situation, he was, and his wife was 100% on board, was willing to put it all aside in order to serve Christ. And that's his goal. His mother, uh, who actually runs the business, um, wants him to continue in the business. And it doesn't make any sense to her that he'd want to go into full-time Christian ministry. It would seem ludicrous. Like that verse where Paul says that the foolishness to those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. It doesn't make any sense. In his situation, he wants to follow what he believes God is telling him to do. What about us this morning? Have we kind of forgotten that to live is Christ? And all of his purposes and all that he wants for us is what's on our mind. And that's why Paul said a little bit later on in what I read, you know, he said, even if I'm going to have to stay here on this earth, it isn't because, you know, I want to stay on this earth a little bit longer because I want to see, either I want to get married or, you know, he was thinking, I, you know, I want to have kids as good as that is, or in maybe some cases I want to have grandkids or, you know, I want to retire. I've worked a long time and I want to move somewhere where we can have a house and we can have a lake and we, I can fish. And I can do all of these things that we think about, some of these wonderful blessings that God's given in life. But that wasn't the forefront of his thinking. Forefront of his thinking was, is if I'm going to have to stay down here on this earth, then you know what? I want to do it because I want to do it for your sake. I want to be serving you. I want to be involved in the work of the kingdom of God and not involved in all of these pursuits that, frankly, if you get right down to it, might be very much just directed toward what we want to do ourselves at the exclusion of anything to do with the Lord's work. And the Apostle Paul didn't say that. He said to die is gain. Now, we think about that. Sometimes in our mind, and depending where you are this morning, there's really two classes of people in this room. There are folks here today who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who love him and understand their wickedness and understand that they needed a Savior. And there may be another person in here today that hasn't yet understood that. And so when you come to the subject of die is gain, right now, to be honest with you, you're afraid to death. You're afraid of death. And the idea of death is something not only do you not want to think about, but you don't have any idea what is, what's going to happen. What happens to you after you die? And you know what? A lot of us were in your shoes, too. We had those same concerns, those same things. That might have been one of the reasons what drew us to the Lord Jesus. I remember as a young kid, I don't know why, I remember about at eight years old laying on a lawn out in front of our house in Hayward, and I looked up into the sky and I thought, I wonder what's going to happen after I die. I thought about that at eight. I chased fire engines later, but at eight years old I was thinking about death. And some folks here have come to that place and they said, you know, I don't know, is there an afterlife? Is there something more than this? How does all of this that goes on in earth and all the heartache and the sorrow and the pain, how does it make sense? If this is all there is, and then after that, we're just going to go into some eternal rest, sleep, unawareness. The scripture doesn't teach that. It teaches either we're going to be alive with God forever, or we're going to be separated from him forever in an eternal hell. It's a sobering thought. 
But for the Christian, and Paul could say that, he said, you know what? If I have to leave this earth, to die is gain. And it's interesting because, you know, most wouldn't think that. And a matter of fact, many folks, when it comes to the subject, if they're doing everything they can to extend life on this earth, everything they can, if there was every medication in the world that was possible just to extend another day, no matter what the cost was, they would take it. Reminds me of the story of a man who went to the doctor and he came back to the house all gloomy and depressed. And his wife looked at him and said, what's wrong? He said, the doctor told me I have to take these pills for the rest of my life. And she said, well, what's, what's wrong with that? A lot of people have to take pills and some do for the rest of their life. He said, yeah, but he only gave me two. Some are wanting to postpone the inevitable at whatever cost. And part of the reason is the father of all lies, the father of all lies, the devil himself, has got folks so brainwashed to think, you know what, that, that this is all there is. All there is. Like that song, I think it was Peggy Lee who sang it. Is that all there is? They think that this is it, and so I'm going to enjoy life here in San Ramon, in California, to the fullest. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to, I don't care who I knock down on this, in the process, but I'm going to achieve, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to live my life my way, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make me happy, because you know what? After that, there's nothing. And that's what the father of lies is trying to teach. And, of course, the scriptures say, huh, really, this life here on earth, this is just a drop in the bucket of what's going on in our lives after this. We're, for those of you who, knew Christ, who know Christ, and as I do, thank God this morning, we're going to see each other for eternity. Amen. And we're going to have, live forever in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one we're going to be celebrating on the 25th again for what he accomplished on Calvary's cross. We know there's something beyond this because God tells us in his word. That's why we base it. That's why we have this hope. So for you and I today, this is the last time I see you physically here on this earth. To die is gain, and it's not a defeat for me that that's happened. And it's not a defeat for you. It's a graduation to glory, as someone has said. It's a net gain for you and for me. Someone said to die is to cash in both principle and interest. And so to have more of Christ than when living here, when you're with him. So it's we're, we're thinking a lot sometimes about interest and principle and uh, making the money that God's given us work in a wise way. But what about in the spiritual context? It's a gain to be with the Lord. And I love this idea of gain. It's a precious thought when you think about it concerning death. Someone also has said, at death, believers collect the dividends from the investment of living for Christ. Isn't that great? God pays the richest dividends out there. You know, sometimes you're looking and you have that mutual fund or whatever. You want to know at the end of the year, how did it do? How did it do during the year? How did it perform? God always performs on our behalf. He always does. And that's why to be involved in the work of his kingdom, where we're going to receive heavenly rewards from him, is the best way to go. You think, what do you gain? What, what is it you gain? You gain in what you lose when you die. You're going to lose that sinful body. You're going to lose all of that struggle with temptation. 
sorrow, sufferings, even enemies, that's going to all be gone. And what are you going to gain? You're going to gain a glorified body. You're going to gain the being in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to gain unknowable to this extent joy of being with him. You're going to gain the reunion of being with the loved ones that you have missed. And you know what? And I understand. Don't get me wrong. I understand the pain. If anything about the subject of death, it's, it's most difficult for those who are left behind. And that's why this time of year, it can be an incredibly difficult time if you lost a loved one around the holidays. And yet God can show his grace and he shows his comfort and he shows his mercy to those of us who have been in those shoes. I was too. And I understand that. And the wonderful thing about being with the loved ones who knew Christ and were going to be reunited with them is they're not going to have any of their faults and any of the struggles that went on in the family while they were alive on earth. They won't be there any longer. And so you're going to be with your loved ones in this wonderful state of no one being in sin. To die is gain. When Paul said that, I think he wasn't only talking about that, but he was also talking about the fact that, you know what, when I'm executed, and that's how he, he died, if he had a conscious awareness that that's how it was going to have, that, you know what, even in my martyrdom, even if it's going to come to, I'm going to be, you know, die a horrible death, that it's going to be for the advance of the gospel. And so to die is going to be gain for the gospel because the gospel is going to go forth as believers witness this courage that God gave them to live for Christ. And others are even going to come to Christ through his death. And it happens. Stories told of a believer who was on a rough ocean crossing. And as a result, he became terribly seasick. If you've ever experienced the feeling, it's, it's terrible, isn't it? And one of the stewards kindly put his hand on his shoulder and said, and that's okay, I know, sir, that this seems awful. But remember, no one ever died from seasickness. And he said, don't, don't say that, don't say that. It's the only hope of dying that keeps me alive. <laughs> don't say that, yeah. You know what? I hear the Apostle Paul in that story. It was only the wonderful hope of dying that keeps me going. Because then and then, finally, once and for all, I'm going to be with the Lord Jesus. There's a number of folks here today who have been Christians for a long time. Many years. I talked with a man who had these desires for God who's known him three years. I thought, you know what? I've known him 30. And I'm encouraged by what you're telling me as a man who's known Christ for three years. And I said, you know what? And I was thinking there's a lot of folk here that are just dying to meet the Lord Jesus in the right sense. They just can't wait. I was talking to a man a couple of weeks ago over a good old cup of coffee at that four bucks or Starbucks place there. And um, he, uh, sorry. And he said, you know what? He's, he's uh, 55. And he said to me, you know, uh, Randy, he said, I'm ready to die. This is all the stuff that's been happening in my heart and mind over the last couple of weeks. Um, I said, that's interesting. I said, how, did you, how do you come to that place? I thought, you know, I wonder if he's secretly terminally ill. You know, as he looks healthy, he is very thin, but is there something going on that I don't know about? He's a wonderful, godly man. He said, I'm ready to die. About six weeks ago, he told me that, but he said, you know, if the Lord took me at about 71, I'd be happy. So I thought, okay, now he's telling me he's ready to die. So he's really increased the desire from 71, being 55, to now. I said, how did, you, how did you come to this place? 
And he was just, we were talking about the very things like Philippians 1. He, he's come to this place that this passion, this passion for wanting to be with Jesus is just so intense that all the other wonderful things, as good as they are, and all these wonderful blessings from God have now kind of taken backstage to now saying, you know what? If today's the day, I'm ready to go. And you know what he said? There's this incredible freedom I've experienced in that. Because now I'm really like, I'm living life. I'm free to serve the Lord. And I'm giving my life, he said, I think, to what really counts. And I'm not being caught up with fear of death. And I said to him, you know what? It sounds like a win-win, isn't it? And he goes, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. I remember reading in the Daily Bread some time ago, a bank in New York State had some flowers sent to a competitor who had recently moved to this new building. And there was a mix-up at the flower shop. And the card sent with the arrangement read, with our deepest sympathy. And the florist, who was obviously embarrassed about this, apologized. But he was even more embarrassed when he realized that the card intended for the bank was attached to a floral arrangement sent to a funeral home in honor of a deceased person. And that card read, congratulations on your new location. (laughs) And you know... That really is appropriate, isn't it, to say to the believer, if we could, congratulations to your new location. You're not there because of anything you did. It has nothing to do with how many works you did, how good a person you were here on this earth. But it's because of what Christ did at Calvary's cross. When he recognized our need, he knew it from the very foundations of the earth, from the very beginning of time, that he would have to come and be our savior and rescue us. And so we're in this new home. And you know what? There's going to be no mix-up like there was in that story when we come to this new location for those who know Christ. We'll be there because of His grace and we're not going to have someone say, you know what, you you don't belong. You don't belong here. Leave. If in fact we're saying, you know why I'm here? It's because of the shed blood of the Lord and what He did for me. And I have acknowledged Him as my Savior. And so by the grace of God, I'm here, unworthy as I am, and will be received into His presence. Brothers and sisters, we have a hope laid up for us in heaven. And it is an inheritance, which the scriptures say, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. And you know what? It's reserved in heaven for you and I. Sometimes it happens that you make a reservation to a restaurant, something like that, and they say, we don't see it. It's, you know, we're looking, they're looking down and they say, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see your name. When did you call? When was it? They say, yeah, I called on this day and I spoke to so-and-so and I told them part of you too. And they go, oh. That's not going to happen. God doesn't lie. If we know him, that spot in heaven is reserved for you and I. You know, in closing, this time of year, I think of Cindy's mother who passed away a couple years ago, right around this time. And um, we walk into the house because her brother lives there at the home that she grew up in and I was the paper boy for. And it goes all the way back to 1968 when I first met her. And I would... I was delivering papers at 15, and I remember the home, and I remember collecting there, and I remember seeing them, and then, of course, they were my in-laws, and now they're both gone. But, you know, when I think of it, and I still see all this mail coming for for her, her, because her mother died last, and it just makes you realize, doesn't it, and even what happened yesterday at work for me, the absolute brevity of life, the brevity of life. I try and instill in my younger kids, you know what, I know you think you're going to last forever. You know, you're a teenager now, but stuff happens. And this life here on earth, isn't it short? 
I think of that wonderful poem, There's Only One Life to Live and It Will Soon Be Passed. Only what's done for Christ will surely last. It's important that what we build or what we're accumulating here on this earth, if it's in the material, that it will take less and less significance and thinking on our part. And we will begin to think more and more about how to love the Lord Jesus, how to serve him like the Apostle Paul, and have him be the first and foremost in our thinking. We need to have our ultimate destination in mind of where we're going. In the meantime, while we're here, enjoy the blessings that he's given. Be grateful for him. But keep an eye, brothers and sisters, on that final goal. Keep an eye on that final goal of spending eternity with the Savior. No wonder, no wonder to die is gain. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are our hope and that you've given us an incredible hope that we know and have as your children. Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you so much that to die is gain. A subject, Lord, an issue that frightens so many. A subject that so many don't want to think about. We contemplate the idea that when we leave this earth, in your good time and in your wisdom, however it may happen, whether you come for us first or we go to be with you, that it's in your hands. We thank you for it. We thank you for yourself. I pray, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has uh, an uncertainty about what would happen to them if they were to die today, that, Lord, they will not rest. They will not want to put their head even down to sleep tonight until they resolve that issue with you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope it gives us. We bless your name and we pray for that you'll just be with us and that we'll seek to live and love you this coming week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.